0: As you're being seated, take your Bible. Let's find Hebrews. Go to the New Testament. If you find Acts, go toward the end. Hebrews, James. We see 1st and 2 Peter, 1st and 2nd, 3rd, John, Jude, and Revelation. You might go Revelation and hang a left. You might find it that way. Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12 is a familiar passage to many, and I pray that it'll be an inspiring passage to all of us today. As you find in your place, uh, let me make a a few remarks. Many have asked, can we give uh, toward disaster relief for Houston specifically in and through Liberty Baptist Church? Yes, you can. Uh, Inside the bulletin, there is a paragraph about how that can be done. One of the ways you can write a check to Liberty Baptist, just make sure it's designated either disaster relief or Houston, and that money will pipeline to disaster relief in Texas. You can go online, and you can give, and it'll go directly to Southern Baptist Disaster Relief in Texas. And so the confidence that we have in giving through Southern Baptist Disaster Relief is all of that money goes for disaster relief. Uh, We have many uh, boots on the ground already as far as the yellow shirts, as we call them, and disaster relief. The Myers-Mallory offering is something that you'll hear about all month. We'll be giving as a church to that at the end of the month. A portion of that state missions offering goes toward Alabama disaster relief. And and so we have food trucks, we have mud-out teams, we have chainsaw teams, and uh, child care teams, uh, laundry teams. They are all will be being deployed if they're not now. And so our gifts through the state missions offering will refuel Alabama teams that will exhaust all the uh, fuel that we have financially, and we'll replenish that. So there are options there about giving, and we want you to be aware of that. Certainly, we're going to stay in prayer for our brothers and sisters in Christ and for the churches and the opportunity of of reach that we have in that time of devastation. Before I read the scripture, I want to share two other prayer requests along with Houston, two of our church families, um, community families that we want to come alongside and be prayerful uh, for. One is the family of Bill Weldon. Bill went home to be with the Lord on Friday. His uh, funeral service will be here, Liberty Baptist Tuesday at 2 uh, visitation will be Monday night, 6 to 8, for Bill Weldon. His wife is Barbara, and um, his sister is Marcy Gwen, who is affiliated with Liberty, and sons are Brett and Brian, an extended family. But the Weldon family is one of those Chelsea families from way back, and a lot of roots in that family as far as who we are as a community. So please pray for them. Also, Pat Larino, many of you have been praying for, um, passed away this morning. Uh, Pat Larino is a brother to Mary Ann Lees, an uncle to Becky King, uh, is a father to uh, Laura Stanfield, and then Laura has two brothers, uh, Philip and Michael. So we want to pray for that family. We do not have any arrangements yet. Anticipate Liberty Baptist being the place that, that the services will be held during the week. So please pray for the Lorino family and the Weldon family as well as Houston. And if you're able to stand, let's honor the reading of the life-giving Word of God that refreshes and renews, transforms us. Look at verses 1, 2, and 3, Hebrews 12. The writer says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us and let us run with, what is it? Endurance, the race that is set before us. Looking unto whom? Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him, who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Let us pray. Father, we ask as we open your word that by your spirit you will direct our thoughts to truth. Not only give us the knowledge of truth and understanding, but Father, give us the application of that truth. By your Spirit, help us to examine where we are in this picture of Scripture. And Father, by your Spirit, draw us to where we need to be. As we pray, we pray for the devastation in Houston and all the uh, people that are impacted. But Father, I pray through loss, many will find the greatest treasure of all, the treasure of Jesus. By your grace and by the power that is, uh, Father, uh, in cooperation of many, We pray lives will be rebuilt and homes will be restored and, Father, communities will be rebuilt. And, Father, we just lift them to you and pray for faithful provisions on a daily basis. We pray for the Weldon family. We pray for the Loreno family. You're the God of all comfort. Father, we pray your tender mercies will be with them today and that you'd grant them peace and courage in the midst of their heartache. And so, Father, we lift them in confidence to know that you're sufficient to help us through these valleys and these difficult days. Father, now once again, give us focus, give us understanding, teach us truth that transforms our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. This man exemplified what I would say is endurance for runners all around the world. His name is Ed Whitlock. You may have never heard of Ed Whitlock, but he's one of the world's greatest and oldest marathon runners of all time. Back in March of 2017, this year, Ed Whitlock died just after his 86th birthday. But in October of 2016, at the age of 85, this white-haired, fleet-footed Whitlop set a world record for those who are 85 and older as he ran his last marathon in Toronto. Uh, He completed that 26.2-mile course in 3 hours, 56 minutes, and 34 seconds. That's a time many of us would like to accomplish. Uh, That broke the previous record by over 40 minutes. Ed Whitlock also remains the oldest person older than 70, to ever run a marathon in less than three hours, a feat that he accomplished again in Toronto in 2003. And so as I read a story like that, I think of Ed Whitlock. Indeed, you can call him Mr. Endurance because he was just a phenom. He was one that they didn't understand how he can keep on keeping on at the age that he was. But he did. And I think it is very fitting that as we jump into Hebrews chapter 12, that this writer of Hebrews 12 uh, is targeting the journey that we have in Christ, this Christian life. He uses the metaphor of that marathon race, that long distance race to illustrate the Christian life. On the top of your sermon notes is a Greek word, agon, and that word is translated race in verse 1. And it's the word from which we get our English word. You see it? What is that English word? Agony. And so there's an aha moment that normally goes off right here. And many of you think, yeah, running equals agony. Amen. Amen. There's some witnesses that are in the house. Well, it's talking about that long-distance marathon, and and there's a sacrifice to be paid even when you train in that race. And so, yes, this race is a struggle. This is what we know about our race in the Christian life. It's, It's a matter of endurance through struggles and difficulties that we will face along the way as the children of God. Yes, there is victory in Jesus both today, now, and then. But between now and then, the journey can get long, and it will, and the struggles can get great, and they often do. The race, then, is characterized on one hand by agony. By struggle, it will not always be easy. The writer includes that the race is marked out for us. It is set before us by God, really implying that every believer's duty is to run the race. Every believer is called to be in the race. In other words, in Scripture, there are no bench warmers. In Scripture, you don't just stand on the sideline. In Scripture, you don't retire from this race. This race is a lifelong race that every one of us is called out to run and to run with endurance. The question is this, how well will we run the race that God has marked out before us? How well will we leverage our lives with the gospel to make Christ known and spur others, our brothers and sisters in Christ, to love one another and to honor God with their life. The race is also characterized not just by struggle, but by progress. Let us run. Let us run with endurance. And, And it paints that picture of a race where the runners are at the starting line and the gun goes off, and as the gun goes off, the runners take off. As they take off, it's one foot in front of the other until they cross the finish line. It's a good metaphor for the Christian life because the Christian life is similar to a race. For the Christian life, there is a starting point. That starting point is called salvation. And at that starting point of salvation, then there's a finish line that we look ahead for. And it, you might call it heaven, but we're going to call it glorification, that time that we see Jesus face to face and we become as he is. But in between, there is progress. That's that one foot in front of the other process. In between the sanctification, The the uh, I, I just gave it away, in between the salvation and the glorification is that which theologians call sanctification. Sanctification. Now, here's what it means. Our life is a life of progress. It's not a life of perfection here on earth, but it's a life of progress in which we're called to run for God's glory, to live our life, to invest our life for His glory, putting one foot in front of the other until we cross the finish line and we achieve that glorification in Christ. God's will for us in this race is that we grow up To be like Jesus. So, from the start point of our spiritual journey, salvation, to the end point of our spiritual journey, seeing Christ face to face, there is a progression of growing to be more like Christ. Question is, are you making progress? The question is, are you growing up to be more and more like Jesus Christ? Are you? putting off the old things that characterized a life of sin? And are you allowing the Holy Spirit of God to grow within you those new things that are in Christ, His righteousness, His love, His joy, His peace, His goodness, His faithfulness, His gentleness, His self-control? The Apostle Paul, even in his maturity, said, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that which Christ has laid hold for me. Recognize it? Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. Hadn't crossed the finish line yet. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind me, reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press on for the goal, for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Question, are you progressing? Are you pressing on one foot in in front of the other in Christ? Another part of the race, not only is is struggle, which is not always easy, not only uh, is it progression, growing to be more like Christ, but we need to understand direction is important. It's important which way you run. If you line up and you're running a hundred-yard dash, is it important which way you run? It is if you want to win or at least compete. It is important which direction that we run. It's not sufficient just to say, I know Jesus, and then run in the opposite direction of who he is and what he stands for. It's not kosher to claim to be a child of God, and then you live your life for yourself and live it in sin. And that, that's not right. That's running in the wrong direction. Well the year was nineteen twenty nine when Southern California played Georgia Tech in a Rose Bowl. There was a fumble that was on the field. Some of you might remember that, huh? I don't. I've read about it. There's a man that, that was on defense by the name of Roy Regals. And he picked up the ball when the fumble happened and and he picked it up and he began to run. He eluded the first tackler and then another tackler and then he made a scan of about 80 yards. And he was approaching the goal line. I mean, he could see it, it was right there in front of him. And just shy of the goal line, he was tackled. He didn't cross the goal line, but he was tackled by his own teammate. And he was tackled by his own teammate because he was running in the wrong direction. And had he crossed the goal line, he would have scored for the other team. And so there was a nickname that was pinned upon this great football player that he never could get rid of, and the nickname was Wrong Way Regals. Anybody remember that story? Maybe I should have gone to 1984 in the Iron Bow and said Wrong Way Bow. You'd remember that one, right? Some of you mad. Yeah, you cut me off. I heard that. Once again, Paul says, Do you not know those who run in a race all run, but one receives the crown? Here's what he said next. He said, Run in such a way that you may obtain it. The way that we must run to attain it begins with running in the right direction. The way that we must attain uh, that prize before us is we must be at the starting point and begin with salvation. We must be born again to be in this Christian race and and the run in such a way to win, run with endurance, knowing it's not always going to be easy, there will be struggle and direction is clear in the word of God, but we're to run. With endurance, the race that is set before us. I just wonder if, if ever God looks down here and just shakes His head at us. Do you ever wonder that? There he goes. There's an honest person in the house. There he goes again. There goes old turned away Tim. Uh, turned around Tim. He's running in the wrong direction. There goes wrong way Jonah who's rebelling against the command of God just because he doesn't want to do it. It's a dangerous challenge. It's one nobody's ever done before. And so he thinks he can run from God and run in the opposite direction. There goes old confused Charlie. I just wonder if God ever looks at us and says, Come on, guys, let's run with endurance the race that I've set before you for my glory, for your greatest good, that others may know Christ. And and so it just sometimes I wonder if God ever just looks down at me and says, "Tim." why are you so confused? Why is it so hard? Why are you turned around? I pray that when I see my Savior face to face, I'm not known as wrong way Tim. I pray that I hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant. On your notes, there are two points. First one is there is a, a one main exhortation in this passage. One main point, one main verb. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. That's the main point. This is what the author desires that we know, that it is with endurance we're commanded to run the race. On your notes, I put that word endurance out there with a definition, steady determination to keep going. Endurance, steady determination to keep going. It means that when everything within you wants to slow down and quit, to give up, you keep going. If there are runners that are in the house, whether you run short distance or long distance, there's probably been a time that your body was telling you, slow down, maybe quit, because your chest was burning or you couldn't catch your breath. Or if you're at my age, there's a joint that is screaming with every step that you take. And so it's slow down or quit before you ever get there. In the spiritual life, there go be things that are struggles things that tempt us to slow down or maybe even things we don't understand that would tempt us to quit, to give up because I don't understand it or because my emotions are competing with the truth of God's Word or because of what I see in the world, I can't line up real easily with the Word of God. And so here's the question. Are we going to run with endurance the race that is set before us by choosing to believe what God? God said, and we're going to come back to that. But our commission, our challenge is to run with this thing called endurance, even when we feel like slowing down, even when we're tempted to give up. And so we look at that word endurance in the original language of the New Testament in Greek. That phrase, with endurance, is put at the front of the sentence. It's put at the front of the sentence for emphasis, meaning that that's the most important thing we want you to know. And so literally it reads like this, with endurance let us run the race that is set before us. The important thing is that steadfast determination to keep on going, to keep on going even when you feel like giving up. So with endurance, and by the way, when we read that, Uh, That that was the only word that was repeated multiple times in those three verses that we read. Endurance or one of its derivatives. Um, He says, run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, if we were running a hundred-yard dash, it would be different. Or the 40-yard dash, it would be different. Endurance is not what you want. Speeds what you want. Is that a fair statement? But when you're running a marathon... You can start fast, but you may not end well if you don't have endurance. And so, in the Christian life, folks, it's not how high we jump when we get saved, it's how straight we walk when we land and how steady we are through the process. And so, it is endurance that uh, we're called to run this race with. Question is, how are you running? Have you put yourself on the bench? Have you taken your helmet off and put it under your, under your arm and you're standing there watching everybody else run? Have you reached a place in church life that you feel like you've paid your dues, done your share, now it's somebody else's term, turn and I'm on the sideline? There's no place in Scripture that calls you to be that person. The race that is set before you by God. You have a place, you have a purpose, and you are to run, putting one foot in front of you no matter what your age is, no matter how fast or good you think you are. God has equipped you, he's established you in the body to be effective for his glory in the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry and in making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. His name was Cliff Young. The year was 1983. The place was Australia. The event was the Ultramarathon, 573.7-mile foot race from Sydney to Melbourne. This race normally took about five or six days to run, and, and it's a popular race to where runners, professional runners all around the world, they gather there and, and for this ultra marathon. This particular year, Cliff Young, at the age of 61, showed up. He showed up and went to registration, says, I need to register, need a number. I want to run the ultramarathon. They looked at him like he was crazy because Cliff did not look like a runner because he wasn't a runner. Cliff was a farmer. He was a sheep herder. He showed up in his overalls. With his work boots and galoshes over the work boots. I can just see my pawpaw with his big Liberty overalls plastered right there and saying, I want to run the ultra marathon. He finally convinced them. They gave him a number. He registered, he plastered it on his overalls. He went to the start line of the ultra marathon, and there's all these sculpted, in shape, uh, fashionable runners in their name brand attire lined up with him. And they began snickering at him. What's this guy doing at the start line? The gun goes off. The runners take their place out front. They hit their pace. They look good running, not Cliff. He wasn't a runner, and he didn't run well. It kind of was an awkward little shuffle as he went, but he was steady. saying, there's no way this guy has any business being in this race. Somebody from the crowd finally yelled out, get that old fool off the track. But then it happened. 5 days, 14 hours and 4 minutes later, at 1:25 in the morning, Cliff Young crossed the finish line. 573.7 miles he finished the race. If that's not remarkable enough, he didn't just finish the race, he won the race. He didn't just win the race by a little bit. He won the race by 9 hours and 56 minutes. The crowd went crazy. He became an instant hero in Australia. The media mobbed him. It must be your shoes. How did you do that? No, it wasn't his shoes. It, it must be it must be your attire. I don't know. It wasn't his attire. It must be your nutrition. What's in your backpack? Pumpkin seeds and water. What in the world? How did you break the record for the ultra marathon and beat everybody for by almost ten hours? Nobody ever told Cliff you ran for eighteen hours and stopped and slept for four or five hours and then started running again. He endured. Five days, 14 hours, four minutes by running steady, never stopping. That's what I call endurance, wouldn't you? Old Cliff Young may look a lot like us in our spiritual life. We may look up and say to God, well, I can't do what they do. He does, she does. I don't have what they have. My body's not like theirs. I'm not gifted like they are. I don't, uh, whatever. We give God a whole lot of excuses about why we cannot run in the body of Christ with endurance, the race that is set before us. But all God has asked us to do is to run with endurance, to be steadfast, to be faithful, and one day we will cross that ultramarathon finish line and we will see our Savior face to face. That would be a good day, wouldn't it? And so we are told to run with endurance the race that is set before us. I wonder, though, have we in the church began to idolize our own comfort and our own ease? We are really called to run a race that is both strenuous and continuous. God never called us, dear church, to be comfortable But he has called us to be faithful. The temptation to slow down and to quit arises when we seek our own comfort, arises when we're more concerned about our own personal safety or security, arises. And becomes a dominant theme in our life that I, I'm not going to rock the boat. I'm not going to do anything I'm unsure about. I, I'm not going to step out in faith. God, I'm just not going to do that until all the pieces line up and I know that I'm effective and I'll be successful. The temptation to slow down and quit arises when we look within and see all of our imperfections. We have our local churches in our battle cry. We have one mission. What is it? The Great Commission. What do we do? Make disciples. We gather. We'll yell that. We'll say that. We'll preach it. We'll sing it. Yet there's a large number of us hanging out together in our comfort, waiting for all the pieces to line up before we do anything. And if you do that, you'll spend a life waiting for the pieces to line up. By the way, faith thrives through holy discomfort. In fact, the gospel is rooted in discomfort, the discomfort of the Lord Jesus Christ. The cross brought pain and death to Jesus, yet the same breath has brought freedom to us. We are alive because Christ discomfort. The Lord Jesus Christ endured what was uncomfortable so that we could become the very sons and daughters of God. But somehow, as a people, if we're not careful, we can sing the songs about Jesus being uncomfortable, his shed blood, his journey to the cross while we live in the very comfortable moment of us. Romans 6, 8 says, Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. That's our call, not only to die with Christ, but to live with Christ. Fair statement out of the Bible. But if we live with him, then we can expect there's going to be some struggle. There's going to be some opposition. There's going to be some persecution. And we must run with endurance the race that is set before us because it's not going to always be easy. So remember, the purpose of our lives is not for our comfort but for Christ's glory. God's glory through our obedience. But the author doesn't leave us hanging. So we have one exhortation. Let us run with what? Let us run with endurance, the race, agony, that race that is set before us by God, what God is laying out for you. There are three modifying prepositions. Hang on, we're going to go through these fast. In other words, these are subordinate clauses to the main verb, let us run. The first one is, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, or having a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, this cloud of witnesses is our motivation. Or maybe, like, let me say inspiration, because I use motivation later. you with me? Inspiration. Who is this cloud of witness? Who are these folks? That, that cloud of witnesses is a metaphorical term in Scripture used to describe just a big group of people. But who makes up this crowd? Look at uh, Hebrews 11 and verses 1 and 2. Hebrews 11 sets kind of the tone. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. How did they obtain a good testimony or a good approval? By faith, that's the the meaning there. Now, at the end of chapter 11, after the author introduces men and women of great faith, he says, and all these, all these men and women, all these great Old Testament men and women have gained approval, how? By faith, that's how. So now in chapter 12, that connecting word, therefore, he links... Uh, what he's about to say with their approval that was by faith. And he says, Therefore, now, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, this great cloud of witness that is our inspiration are the men and women of the Old Testament. What inspires us is their testimony of faithfulness. I want you to understand something. These men and women were not supernatural. These men and women were not perfect. They had flaws. These men and women didn't always get it right. They fell down. They fell short at times. It ought to give us great comfort that these men and women listed in Hebrews 11 and the great hall of faith in the Bible are ordinary men and women who had a super ordinary desire to run the race set before them with endurance by living by faith. What distinguished them was they were faithful and not faithless. So that great crowd of witnesses, that, that cloud of men and women of the Old Testament should inspire us today. They ran the race, they endured They finished the race, and if ordinary men and women of the Old Testament who had warts, who had sin, who had failures, could run the race, could get back up in the game when they fell uh, fell down and run again, and they could finish the race through endurance, it inspires us that we can do the same. There may be people in your life uh, as you've lived your spiritual journey that have inspired you. That application will work. But in this context, the context is to the men and women of the Old Testament and their faith. There's a second modifying phrase. This is our preparation. Our inspiration of those who have run and run well, they endured. they cross the finish line. Our preparation is to lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. That weight is just something that's heavy, a bulk or a mass. The weight is not necessarily something evil or sinful, but it is something that weighs us down. Do you know good things can weigh you down? Uh, the, this weight is something that can distract and divert your attention. Do you know that even good things can be a distraction from God things? Uh, this weight could be something that saps your energy. Do you know that, that fairly harmless things can sap your energy? dampens our enthusiasm for the things of God. Here's the reality. We cannot run with endurance when we're carrying excess weight. That's a logical statement, isn't it? had a friend who was training for a competition. And by training, he carried a backpack that had 50 pounds in it. He didn't just walk. He ran. He didn't just run on flat ground. He went up and down hills. By the way, I did not train with this guy. And so as he was training, he did that day after day after day to build endurance so that he could approach the race, but come day the day of the race, he took the backpack off. He did not carry that extra 50 pounds. I've seen football players have a whole lot of fun with a harness around their shoulders and pulling a big old honking tractor tire behind them. They don't do that come game time, but they do that for a purpose, for practicing and preparation, maybe for endurance. And, and so as we... Think about it. We have to lay aside the things that weigh us down when we seek to run in this race, to cast it off. What weighs you down? What kind of distractions distract you from the things of God? Scripture says often it's the lust of the things of the world. It's the, it's the pursuit of stuff. It's the pursuit of, of material possessions. It's laying up treasures here on earth. Maybe it's uh, the pursuit of a job, trying to get a certain position, trying to get that, that power, trying to get that paycheck, whatever it is. It, it could be a distraction from the things of God. What distracts us? Could it be sexual sin? Could it be secret sins? Could it be, dear church, competing with each other? Here's what we love to do in church life. We love to look across the aisles and, and compare ourselves with others. Either it's going to make you feel good or feel bad, and probably both. Because every time you look around at others, you're going to say, man, I can't do what they do. God just didn't wire me that way. I I will never be able to do what they do. Here's a newsflash. God did not ask you to be them nor do what they do. He's asked you to be you with what he gave you to do with. But the other thing that's tragic, we see so many people say, I'm pretty good. I, I, I do pretty good in comparison to those hypocrites that are in church with me. And I measure up pretty good with them. Here is another news flash, the one that we measure up against and will for all eternities, the Lord Jesus Christ. So do we compare ourselves with others? Do we let that comparison weigh us down, either saying I'm not good enough or I'm better than most. Don't ask me to do anything else. Busyness is something that weighs us down. There's so many families, that young families, that you create a foundation that is faulty and it's going to do you in one day because you're going from, from uh, can to can't and you're running, 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 trying to catch yourself and you're never going to win that race. There's so many families you're chasing your children. It's not bad to support your children. Children are a precious heritage from God, they're a gift from God. But you're chasing them and you're allowing them to chart the agenda and tell you what to do until you have no funding left and you have no time left and you have no energy left. And church might happen if you have enough time after you get through with all that. Just saying. Could it be unforgiveness that weighs you down? Could it be bitterness that's eating you up? Could it be anger at God? Could it be envy? Could it be jealousy? All these things are things that weigh us down. Now, the writers of the, that the uh, author was addressing, they understood something. They understood this was talking about a race. It was, they understood it was talking about a race, maybe in their Olympic Games. And they understood what happened in, in their time frame is that when the runners came in to run the race, they'd come in with their long, flowing robes. They'd come in with all their colors, And they'd come in all decorated and they'd be announced and there'd be cheers. But when it came time to run the race, they'd line up across the start point. And as they lined up across the start point, when the start happened, I don't know if they blew a cannon or popped the gun or what they did. But when the start happened, many of them would just drop their clothes right where they are. So the finish line, I mean the starting line, was just a bunch of empty garments and the runners took off, some of them running like Ray Stevens, like a street, running just naked. Because they took very seriously. I don't want anything. That would be distracting and disturbing. But anyway, they, they didn't want anything to slow them down. You get the picture? The picture spiritually is these things that, that we put on... Whatever they are that weigh us so much down and make us be tempted to slow down or quit in the spiritual life. There's some of these things by the help of the Spirit of God we need to lay aside so that we can run with endurance. He's not finished. He said, and the sin." That so easily ensnares. That word sin there is singular. Many people say maybe that's talking about that pet sin that we need to lay down. Here's the reality. All of us have trouble areas. All of us have areas of sin that we're more prone to be tempted in, and we're not all the same. All of us have it. We might call them a pet sin. Yes, we ought to lay down those pet sins in order to run with endurance the race that is set before us, but in this context, in this context, it's not just talking about our pet sin. We go back to Hebrews 11 and what began in chapter 10, and, and we look at the faithfulness of the men and women of God, that they live by faith. They took God at his word. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so the sin that so easily ensnares us, church, is faithlessness. Or it's the sin of unbelief. You might say, well, that's not me. I believe when God's Word says, forgive as you have been forgiven, you ever had trouble with that one? When God's Word says, I hate divorce, but you're done, have you ever had trouble with that? When God's Word says, flee sexual sin, you ever had trouble with that? You see, there, there are times in which Scripture challenges us and we are guilty of faithlessness or sin of unbelief. What about, go ye therefore and make disciples by making Christ known? You are my witnesses. You're empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. How are you doing on that end? Do we believe we're empowered with the Spirit of God, to witness to the Lord Jesus Christ, to the people that are around us? Or are we slowing down and quitting on that job? You see, the sin of unbelief may be way too familiar than we ever dare to admit. We have to deal with it. Back at 2.4, back in chapter 10 and verse 11, the writer says, The just shall live by faith. And in Hebrews 11.6, it says, Without faith it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe, number one, that he is. Number two, that he is a rewarder of those who seek him diligently. Those who live by faith take confident action based on what God has revealed about himself and about his purposes. Confident action about who God is and what God has said. Is this a God that I can believe? Is this a God that I can believe in spite of not understanding at all? Is this a God that I can believe in spite of my emotions churning me and pulling me in a different way? Is this a God that I I can believe in spite of what my eyes see around me? You know, the Bible tells me Jesus wins in the end, but is that what I see when I look in the world? So walking by faith is taking God by at His Word, and even when we can't understand fully, even when our emotions are tearing against it, even when our eyes see differently, we choose to believe in spite. How do we lay aside every weight and sin that so easily entangles? Romans ten seventeen. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Let me share something with you. We will never learn to live by faith and run with endurance unless you crack open the Word of God on a daily basis. Because when the child of God opens the Word of God, then the Holy Spirit does a work of God in your life. And that work of God in our life is to convict us of sin. Guess what? You cannot run with endurance unless you deal with your own stinking sin. But when the Holy Spirit convicts and when you confess and when you desire to turn away from it, He then empowers you with His power to overcome and to run with endurance. And so when we get into the Word of God and we deal with our own sinfulness and we confess and we turn away from it, what happens? We have an Isaiah moment. And that Isaiah moment when we're faced with our sin is, Oh, dear God, woe is me. But the next one is, Oh, God. Holy, 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 oh God, here am I, send me, I will go. Here's the truth. Worship leads to action. Complacency leads to sitting down. Where are you? How's your worship? How's the time in the Word? But there's a third modifying phrase. Oh, run with endurance the race that is set before you. Our inspiration, because we have so great a cloud of witnesses, they ran, they endured, they won. Run with endurance the race that is set before you. How? Laying aside all the weight that weighs us down and the sin that so easily ensnares. Run with endurance the race that is set before you. How? Looking unto who? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. This is our motivation. It's nice to look back and glance at the people who have gone before us. It's nice to be inspired by them, but we cannot fix our gaze on those who have gone before us. We must fix our gaze on the living Lord Jesus Christ. We're called to look constantly at the one who is the author and finisher of our faith, which means Jesus is the pioneer, the originator of our faith, which means Jesus got it started. It means that we're in this race because Jesus did it, he had, not, had he not paid for the price of our sin, we would not be in this race. We would not be here in this Christian life. So Jesus is the one who is the pioneer, the author of our faith. He's also the finisher, the perfecter of our faith, which I think means when I cross over in that finish line, there's going to be a Savior with his arms open wide, and I pray that I can run right into his arms, and I can hear, perhaps, if I run with endurance the race that is set before me well done thy good and faithful servant the Bible says Jesus ran and he endured for the joy that was set before him he endured the cross what was the joy that was set before him he understood God's purpose for his coming he understood that when he was born of a virgin and he became God incarnate And when he was perfectly fully God and fully man in one person, he understood the cross was a reality. He understood that the only way for sinful mankind to be rescued from the pit of hell out from under the wrath of a holy God is by him giving his own life dying in our place, shedding his blood that was without spot and without blemish and being the ransom for everyone who would repent of their sin and respond in simple faith to the work of Christ on the cross. He understood that. The joy that was set before him is that through his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, he could rescue millions upon millions upon millions of people out of hell. And that brought his father glory. Jesus understood that, looking unto him, fixing your gaze upon him. Do not be distracted to the right or to the left. We must look unto Jesus, our motivation. Remember, Scripture says, after 40 days in the wilderness, at the beginning of his ministry, prayer and fasting, the enemy came and he tempted him, yet Jesus endured. Remember, as he was growing up, his own family on earth struggled to understand why he was like he was. They thought he'd lost his mind. He'd gone crazy. Yet Jesus endured. When followers began to gather in crowds and then the crowds began to depart one by one, Jesus endured. When when those, uh, uh, the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the scribes, begin to try to attack Jesus and have him murdered and lie about Jesus and entrap him, Jesus always endured. When one of his own, Judas Iscariot, portrayed him for 30 pieces of silver, the Lord Jesus Christ endured. When he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing the cross was imminent, praying so much with agony that his sweat was as drops of blood, agonizing over the sacrifice that had to be made, Jesus Christ endured. When he saw the 11 disciples, once the his arrest took place and the mock trials were happening and he saw them all scattered, Jesus endured. When he saw and he heard Peter, the leader of the 12, deny even knowing him and use cursing to say, I don't even know the man, Jesus endured. When he heard the crowds yelling at Pilate, Crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, Jesus endured. When Pilate ordered Jesus to be scourged and the Roman centurion took the cat of nine ta- tails and flayed open his back... And he almost died because of shock because of that beating. Jesus endured. When they put that royal robe on him and crushed his head with a crown of thorns, they blindfolded him. They spat upon him. They slapped him. They mocked him. Jesus endured. When they took that old wooden beam and they put it across his shoulders and challenged him to walk the Via Dolorosa to the hill of Calvary, Jesus Christ endured. When they laid him on the cross and drove the spikes in his wrist and his feet, Jesus Christ endured. When they erected the cross and he was crucified between two criminals, one on his right the other on his left Jesus endured one hurled insults one repented the crowd was hurling insults Jesus endured when his chest cavity was filling up with fluid and he was suffocating in the last moments of his life on earth as he had taken our place and taken our punishment he felt that wrath of God poured out upon him but he felt the penalty of sin and he cried out my God my God why have you forsaken me Jesus endured because in the end, he cried out with his final breath, it is finished. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Jesus Christ endured. When old Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea took his limp, lifeless body off the cross and wrapped it and put it in a borrowed tomb, it wasn't over. Jesus Christ endured. On the third day, the first day of the week on Sunday, God shook the earth. The stone rolled back. The tomb was emptied. The grave clothes were still there. Jesus Christ endured. He appeared as a resurrected, glorified king. Jesus Christ Christ endured for 40 days Dr. Luke says he gave infallible irrefutable proofs I'm not dead I am alive he endured when the men of Galilee were communing with him and he said just wait right here for the promise of the father but when the Holy Spirit comes upon you you will be my witnesses right where you are Jerusalem Judea Samaria and to the ends of the earth he endured when he ascended from their sight into the clouds and they were gazing up into the sky. The angel of the Lord said, Man of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into the sky? This same Jesus will come in like manner as you have seen him leave. He endured. Why? Because when he got up to glory, there was a right hand at the Father, and he sat down because the Father received his sacrifice, said it was approved, and he accomplished his purpose, and he's at that place of authority at that place of honor, at the right hand of the the Father. But there's coming a day that the King of kings and Lord of lords will come again. The Bible says that there's going to be a trumpet sound, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the air to meet the Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ endured for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross. What's the joy? The joy that he could rescue sinful people by his shed blood and his laid-down life. And that brought the Father glory, and that brought him glory. He's the soon-and-coming king because he keeps enduring. And today, at the right hand of the Father, he's your advocate. and He's my advocate. He's interceding on by our behalf, and he says, I'm coming again. The question is, when he comes, will he find us running well? Are sitting still. God help us to be faithful. Let's pray. Father, we pray that we can learn to run well the race that is set before us. We're full of excuses, it's not easy. We like our comfort, we like our security, we want to serve when it's convenient. We even entertain our own sin and try to justify it to you. And, Father, we like ourselves. In fact, probably the greatest struggle that we have with idols is the idol of me. Of all that I do, I do for me. And, Father, I pray now by your Holy Spirit, help us to hear the truth of our command to run with endurance, the race that you've marked out for us. Help us to allow you to examine our hearts. Do give us an insight, an understanding of the inspiration of the great men and women of faith who have run before us, who have endured the race and finished well. Oh God, give us an examination inside. What are we distracted by? What are we weighed down by? What are we using as an excuse? What's made us slow down? What's made us quit and sit down? What's made us unfaithful? Oh God, by your spirit you know. Please reveal. And I pray, Father, we like to gaze on our problems. We like to gaze in the past. Some of us like to even gaze sideways and compare ourselves to the person running with me but fix our eyes on Jesus. Help us not be distracted to the left nor to the right, but help us to keep our gaze on Him because He is the author and finisher of the, our faith. He's run and He's run well. He's endured and He's coming again. Help us to run like Jesus, the race that is marked out for us, for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.